Hey, big boxers. Welcome to On The Shelf, a program that is dedicated to helping you get your products into a major big box retailer. Tim here with you, and I'm excited that we have Flash Topic back today. I know that this is a program that you guys all really like, and it's Flash Topic 9. Man, we've done nine of these, and I'm excited to get into it for you guys. We have a great panel today, a big panel. We actually have Joe Tarnowski is back. Tracy Hazard is back. Her husband, Tom Hazard, is back. Jamie Robinson from Trivium Consulting is back. And of course, after a long sabbatical, Salah Khalaf is back. So we have a great panel. And what we're discussing today is all about sales, either in person or through digital mediums like Zoom or Skype. And which one is better? and the attributes of both. And so everybody weighs in here, and there was a lot of good back and forth as to what people liked and what they didn't like, and everybody had a really good opinion. And so I think you're really going to like it. We finish it up with some uh, topics like tariffs, good or bad. So there'll be some good discussion around that, and I can't wait for you guys to listen. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get right into it. For those of you who might be joining Flash Topic for the first time, this is number nine. And we get a group of people together and we throw out a topic and nobody knows what it is, obviously, except for me, because I'm the one who chooses this, which I think going forward, we should change that up maybe. And you guys can pick a topic. What do you think of that? Sure. I like that. Yeah, I'm a little scared to have Tracy pick a topic, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm a little nervous to have that because I'm afraid it'll be over my head and there's nobody for me to whisper to. What does she mean? So we pick a topic, everybody uh, discusses it, and then we kind of wrap it up. But the great thing about these podcasts is that you get a really well-rounded view of the topic. You get experts from every field, from design to social to consulting to content development, a lot of people weighing in on what they think about it. And so it's a great way, if you have this question in your mind, I would recommend that you go back and start with flash topic number one and work your way all the way through those because they're pretty enlightening. But today's topic, and this is something I've been thinking about, and I just decided maybe 10 minutes ago to do this, but it's becoming more and more of an issue. And I'm interested on your guys' take, but is virtual selling over Zoom, over the phone, over email, over Skype, just as good as being there? Good topic. Uh, It's funny you mention that. Joe, hey, why don't you go first? (laughs) I actually just posted a video today about how Amazon erectile dysfunction and men's balding is going to boost the adoption of online pharmacy sales. I'm not with you here, Joe, on the topic. How does that tie to virtual selling? Yeah. (laughs) Wrap it up for me, man. Tie it in. (laughs) Well, because there's two, if you guys check on Facebook and on Instagram, you're going to see a ton of ads everywhere for two companies. One's called Hims and the other one's called Roman. And what they are is online pharmacies specifically, and maybe it's not directly sales, but it results in sales of pharmaceutical products. But these two online pharmacies, They specialize in erectile dysfunction medicine, right, since Viagra is now generic versions, and men's balding products. And the reason why is they're going after millennials because millennials are a little bit gun-shy about bringing that up to people in person. 
So they don't want to go to their doctor and talk about it, or they don't want to pick up Viagra or balding products from their pharmacist. So what they're doing is they're having the doctors go online and they have doctors that are registered to prescribe in almost all states, if not all states. And you go on and the complete prescription process, which essentially is a sales thing, kind of, it's all done through video chat or just regular chat on the platform. And then it's done as a subscription. They're seeing a huge growth in sales through those two platforms. So the next logical step, you know, if these millennials are used to ordering those things from there, well, as they need other chronic ailment medications like high blood pressure medicine, diabetes medicine, that's just the next logical step is for them to find another online pharmacy that sells that same way. Joe, (laughs) I let you go as long as I could, but I wanted to clarify. And if you want to still tie this in, that's totally cool. But I'm talking about like you personally, like us personally, like if we want to sell to a buyer or we want to sell anything to anybody with technology the way it is, is it good enough to do it via Zoom or Skype or email or voicemail? Or is it still better to be there in person? So I'm not necessarily talking about corporations selling their product and using digital media. Although that was super interesting. uh, (laughs) Well, you know what? Anytime Um, you lead with erectile dysfunction. Did you use the word erectile on my podcast? Yes, I did. I did well, you know, and, and I'll let someone else jump in, but we have actually discussed that at ECRM and trying to implement some of that type of technology. And so far, really, there hasn't been a justification for it. So, Lau, what would you think being a, a former buyer? So it's definitely virtual selling is growing. I've done it about twice before. And it just depends. There are, for instance, for Walmart, they're advising their buyers, more and more buyers are putting a disclaimer in the bottom. Hey, you don't have to fly here. If you can't make it in person, we can do an online session. I think it's with the advancement of technology and things that are happening. It's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think people are getting used to speaking face-to-face on Skype or FaceTime or what have you. And with technology now, it it has several benefits, you know, for buyers, for sellers alike. And I think we'll see more of a trend. Clearly, those of us like me that have been in business for a while, the face-to-face is more personable. It has advantages, no doubt. I think more effective. But like I said, with technology and advancement and high quality and preparedness for the virtual call, then it may be a good thing. That's my opinion. What about with food, like your baklava, with a lot of products, you know, by seeing it, you can get an idea. But with food, without the tasting factor, I mean, do you think it's different with food versus other products? Definitely, because the one time I did it was for food and I've sent the samples ahead of time. That was just making me think right here that the last time I had a face-to-face client, so I haven't had a face-to-face client. Oh, gosh, I think we've in a few years. Yeah, I think it's probably been at least four years. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably since before Vanessa was born. So four years ago, since I had a face-to-face client that I would travel to and we would see all the time or we would go on buyer trips with, but that was furniture and we really can't sell furniture without sitting on it and trying it. Right. But all of the sales I do is pretty much all Zoom right now. I mean, then again, of course we have, you know, the arrangement platform, which is completely virtual. But again, 
part of that process involves the buyer requesting a sample. So it's not 100% virtual. It is virtual in the sense that they are not meeting face-to-face during the initial conversations on the platform, but the buyer can request a sample. But what I've seen, the way it usually happens is they may connect on RangeMe, right? The buyer will see something they like, request a sample, they like the sample, they go back and forth. The next step is then a face-to-face meeting. So even with RangeMe, it usually ends up in a face-to-face meeting, either at one of our sessions or in the buyer's office before that sale is made. So even then, it's not completely online. I think it really depends what type of product or service it is that you're selling. I mean, we have one business that everything we do is virtual and we have customers all over the country and we've a lot of times never met any of them. Now there have been times where we go to an event and we pick up a new client, but the reality is that client was referred to us by somebody else usually. And that referral was going to happen regardless of whether we met them in person or not. So, I mean, I agree with Tracy furniture. You're going to need to sit in it, sit at it, work food. You need to taste it. It's got to depend a lot on what it is you're selling. Going back to just one thing is when all the times when I was buying and I was met face to face, just the more you guys are talking, the more I'm thinking how many times the impact was great when you know, I tasted the barbecue sauce right there with a the steak, or I uh, tried the piece of baklava, or I tried the piece of chips that somebody's right there in front of me throwing it to me. The times I did it virtual was food. It was good, too, because the samples were right there as well. But again, I think face-to-face would still be dominant, but with the trend with technology, that may change. So. My first initial reaction to the question was no, absolutely not. Computers will never be as good as a face-to-face sales situation. You can't get the same warm and fuzzy. You don't smell, you don't touch. It's not the same type of interaction. Even with videos, I just don't feel like people are going to get the same kind of interaction as they do in a face-to-face situation. I also agree that it completely depends on what the item is. Definitely. There are some things that require a little bit more than just a video or just an email or something like that. But I'm leaning very strongly on the side of, no, there's no way that a computer interaction is going to be as effective as a face-to-face. Okay, so I'm going to have to totally disagree with that. (laughs) And here's why. Because we run a podcast network here, right? Because we run it and it's video and podcast, the conversion rates are so much higher and faster. And that's what's been really crazy about virtual selling for us is that it's been shocking to me how much of the process is sped up by the fact that you're not inconveniencing someone, that you're not trying to wait for that meeting, that you're not trying to wait till they have time. And I was a buyer back at Herman Miller and I would meet with suppliers and they would drain my day and I wouldn't have the attention span and I'd be exhausted. And it would be inconvenient if I had to go to them. And so, you know, you don't have any of that. If I'm getting my work done, I'm getting it accomplished and I need to have things done and I can hop on a Zoom and get it accomplished with you quickly, your energy can still come across. It comes across this microphone. That's why these podcasts do so well. 
It comes across in Zoom. I get it all the time from my clients. And what I get from them is, wow, you're exactly the same in person as you are on the phone, or you're exactly the same in person as you are on the computer. Wow, that's amazing. Like they do get that. They do think that it's going to be different, but it's not. And the speed, though, I find is really the differentiator. We're all in a hurry. We're all trying to get our products launched. We're all trying to to get the business closed. We're all trying to get our planogram set. Whatever that might be is happening faster. And so that's where I think it actually will start overtaking it. And it has in most businesses. Like I said, my business is completely different. I couldn't have done this business 10 years ago without doing everything in person and it taking 10 times longer. It used to take me nine months to close the client. Now it takes me nine days. What kind of product or service you have? You know, I sell design and development services for product. And I also sell podcast production services. So we sell both. Tom sells two very different businesses. One yeah. is entirely a service-related business. Well, I guess in, in some yeah. aspects, I guess they're both service-related businesses in reality. But one of them is a service-related business to provide product design and development services to companies that are selling hard goods to mass market retail or to Amazon. But thinking about that, it's like design services and design in and of itself is a hard thing to sell, right? It's a very big intangible. Like, am I going to be any good? They're going to have to trust me. And if Mm -hmm. I get that trust across on the computer and get them to close and do business with me, that's pretty incredible. That really shows you how far the technology has come to being good enough as being in person. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. What I was going to say is the benefit in that instance is maybe they've done some research before they've come on to the meeting with you, or maybe they've looked around or they see, you know, they have some experience. Are we talking about face-to-face meetings that are just first time or, you know, it's something that was, you know, you're traveling across the country, it's already scheduled and you know this is going to happen. Because even in that instance, these people should be coming with some form of research that they've done about whoever they're meeting with and what their abilities of that company is. But didn't you do that in person anyway? Like, I mean, I would never have agreed to a meeting with a company if I didn't have research and background on them already. So it should already be happening. But the difference is, is that the content that they might be consuming is actually my voice, my face, because there's video. It's a lot more audiovisual already, the research that they can do on me than a prospectus that I emailed them or that I mailed them, right? So that's the difference already is that they already do feel like they know you. So when they get into that first meeting with you, whether it's virtual or not, they already have a sense that they know, like, and trust you, or they wouldn't even ask for a meeting. True. Well, but challenging, like in retail and salon, I would like to hear your thoughts on this, but a lot of the retailers that we deal with or that I've met, they seem to be very, very relationship focused. In a way that I don't know, and I agree, I mean, tech has come a long way and being able to convey the energy and emotions and and all that has come a long way. But I think some industries like retail are still, whether it's them being behind or not, but they're still very relationship focused. And yeah, it may take longer, but they still want that face-to-face. Salah, are you still seeing that? I agree. That is the number one focus and number one preference. But I think, Joe, because Tom and I just went to visit you at your show when you were here in Anaheim. And I have to tell you, like, it's still a speed factor at the end of the day. Like, I would have totally done that as a buyer because I could have just met with everybody all at once, had them all pre-qualified. Like, it's still at the end of the day, that's a speed thing. 
And so to me, that's why that's working. And yes, I think the face-to-face is good because you can taste it. You can do it all at once. You don't have to wait for samples to come in. Like there's a convenience and speed factor that is still working in your favor there. And I would completely do that. It was great, by the way. If you've never been to it, you should go. I was going to say thanks for the plug because, (laughs) I mean, that's essentially why we exist is to actually incorporate that combination, that speed factor and efficiency with the face-to-face relationships. That's what ECRM sessions are all about. So thanks for the plug. Like I said, as technology advances, buyers are even trying it more and more to do virtual selling. And, you know, with having tried both, especially for food, I may try it for clothing or apparel one day that may be different. But for where you can send samples, you can send designs and then have a virtual conference call or a video conference. I think it works both ways, but I feel it's going to grow. I don't know what that's going to do to how you're noticing that in your business there at ECRM, Joe, with those meetings. So, Well, the range is a big part of that, you know, making yeah. bringing the digital aspect to it. But again, range me is still not, there's no virtual discussions. I mean, well, let me rephrase that. There actually are, but they're text-based. So you have a product, so your products are on range me, and a buyer is interested, they could reach out to you through a messaging function So think of LinkedIn messaging, where you can go back and forth with the buyer, but the buyer has to initiate it. But still, you're having a virtual conversation, and they can take that all the way through. But when they are ready to actually take that next step and either meet with you in person or give you a purchase order, then it comes offline. So it's no longer on the RangeMe platform it's then they're going to go off of it to complete the transaction. But yes, in that sense, we are bringing virtual sales into the ECRM fold through the RangeMe platform and those functions of connectivity, the ability to order a sample easily from the platform and the ability to engage in a conversation with the suppliers about the particular products in which they're interested. Another aspect why it would be attractive for Big corporations like Walmart to encourage their buyers or Target or somebody else is cost factor. Cost factor. Uh, Great. I agree. Because, you know, sending, you know how many times, Joe, we try to bring buyers to ECRM and how many times they tell us because of cost, we're not able to make it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that's really unique to Walmart and a handful of other retailers that you cannot pick up, you know. You can't host them. There are some yeah. retailers where they have to pay their own way, and then budget comes into play. Like we stopped bringing people over for interviews, for instance. I know we're talking about selling, but that's another form of selling is an interview where you're really selling yourself as a person to get the job. And we've done hundreds of those over. And it works perfect for interviews, but for products and services, services, it may be much easier than food. So, <laughs> yeah. Guys, I think well, that... Uh, oh, you know, Timmy, I, you're still here. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just letting you guys... I'm just, you know, a good facilitator lets people talk. You know, the question was, is it as good as... I mean, I think there's no question that it's coming, it's here, it's moving forward. I mean, I built an entire business for 10 years 
And out of the hundreds of clients I had, I can really count on one hand the amount I met face to face to actually get the deal. We just happened to be in the same place at the same time. So I myself built an entire business virtually across the world, having clients all over the world. So I know that it's possible. I know that it's coming. I know that it's here. I know people are using it. But when I think about me personally, is it as good as? I have to say, I don't think it's as good as. I never think Mm -hmm. that talking to a buyer over the phone, on Zoom, on Skype, do it through email, trading voicemails. I never think that's as good as being there, being face to face, having the undivided attention, being in the room, feeling it. And I've had a lot of different voice conversations go south because I can't see what they're looking at. I can't watch them roll their eyes. I can't see if there's other people in the room. I was talking to somebody once on Zoom, and it was halfway through the conversation before I figured out there was two other people in the room that were just listening in. I can't be there. And so for me personally, I'm much better. And not that I'm not amazing over Zoom or Skype, but I always feel like I'm much better face to face. When so, I can, Tim, just yeah. to, sorry, just yeah, yeah. to interject here a little bit. I agree with you 100%. And just to clarify, what I was talking about throughout this conversation is mainly a video conference, not really a conference call where you can see in the room, you can see what's around. Is that yeah, what no, you're no, referring to? No. Like yeah. I said, I think when yeah. I was talking digitally, I'm talking about all forms of digital, whether right. it's email or voicemail. And of course, I would rather have a Zoom conversation with a buyer than have a conference call. And I'd rather have a conference call than trade voicemails. And I'd rather trade voicemails than just trade emails. (laughs) And, you know, all the stairs stepped up. But my ultimate goal is always, if possible, to meet that person face to face, shake their hand, absolutely, understand a little bit about them and have a conversation. When the one thing that Zoom and Skype, which some people would say, like Tracy was mentioning, is a benefit and can also be a detriment too, is generally those are shorter. They're generally getting squeezed in. They're in their office. So other things are affecting them. Emails are coming in on their computer. Their phone is ringing. All those things still exist and those distractions still exist. So what I was thinking about this morning was, is it better? I know it's coming. And sometimes I like to use, you know, I was at GMDC. I know it's a bad word, Joe, sorry. But a couple of years ago, when they were just starting to implement, and GMDC is a, they do a much lesser job of what ECRM does on a much smaller (laughs) scale, but they were starting to implement video and you could actually sign up and really bust out like 10 buyers in one day, just sitting at your desk. But I don't think that it panned out well. I don't think that it worked as well. Well, I think the definition is what's better, right? Is it more sales? Is it more conversions? You know, like what is your definition of better? Because I agree with you. Like I love relationship building, right? I am a people person. That's why when Joe was in town, I went to go see him, right? That's why Tim, when I was in Orlando, I went to go see you, right? That's why we do that because I'd love to have that face-to-face and just get to know on a deeper level who we're working with. But speed, and dollars because of speed. Virtual selling has been very, very successful for us. And I can't argue with the numbers. Not only is it virtual selling directly one-on-one with someone, but for us, it's virtual selling 
of all of the online content we're creating that's selling for us all the time, even when we're not doing it. We have customers finding us because of content we're putting out there, whether it's on our website or on social media or other, you know, whatever the podcasts, people are finding us. It's casting a much wider net to market us than we could ever do one-on-one making phone calls ourselves, sending emails ourselves. So, I mean, I think that the technology is changing the dynamic and the playing field tremendously. I agree there will always be value in face-to-face meetings, but if all we had to do was rely on those, if the modern internet didn't exist and these technologies didn't exist, I would not be able to build a business as quickly, organically as I have with both of our businesses. It just, it wouldn't even exist because of it. Yeah. You know, I think you bring up a great point and an important one that may separate you guys from the average person trying to sell virtually. And that is the fact that you put so much great content out there that, as you said, is doing the work for you so that it's almost in effect as acting as a multiplier so that it does make it easier for someone to trust you when you do have that virtual meeting. So imagine trying to do your sales without having all of that content that you already have out there. I think it might be a little tougher, but you already have that trust with them. Because I think that's one big thing is that trust factor, building the trust. And because you're consistently, steadily putting out this content, they are going into this virtual meeting with you knowing they can pretty much trust that you guys know what you're doing. I don't (laughs) think it's the same for other people that do not put out that much content. Yeah. Well, Um, Joe, you must be finding that too. Yeah. So- when I was buying, one of the things that I did, I mean, I had a salad dressing that was regionally relevant for New Jersey, New York area back in the day. And it was an email, then a conference call, samples were sent to the office, and I placed it in the Northeast area without even seeing the uh, supplier. So sometimes if you have a good feel as a buyer, now I'm talking, if you had a good feel about the product, is it regionally relevant? You have facts in front of you that tells you this is already proven to be good. Then virtual selling or virtual way works. You see what guys, what I'm saying? Because people are trying this salad dressing. They've already tasted it. It's already proven in that area. It's selling. It's a known brand. So for me, why fly the supplier or why the buyer should fly in and look at this while it's already in the market and selling in other areas? So I've done that before. That just came to my mind. Yeah. You know, the other thing about the sort of content thing, we had this client a couple of years ago who came to us and I was talking to him and we're having this great conversation about what we can do and the services and what his product is and the whole thing. And we're having this amazing conversation. And I say, oh, and, you know, on our website, we have this, this and this. And he goes, oh, what's your website? And I said, we've had this whole conversation. You've contracted us already. Like, I mean, he basically had already signed and we were having our intake. And you've never seen my website because he had seen all the content that was out there. He'd already seen videos and blog posts and read articles. Right. And so he never went to the website. So he didn't see like the services packages or anything. Not that we really have that up there, but none of our portfolio. And so I found that to be like shocking to me. And it was eye opening at that point. That was the tipping point for me that the content was so much more valuable 
than anything else that we did. I would argue, though, that that's marketing and not necessarily sales. Well, that's valid. But the whole purpose of marketing is it's almost like pre-sales. You know, if my it's- goal of creating content is to kind of do some of the sales job for us. I've always presented it as marketing supports the sales staff. I never isolate this. So I have somebody who wrote, and I'm going to have to share it with you, Tim, because you're going to want to share this with the audience, but wrote this fabulous article that was like a back and forth between design and marketing, right? It was like a love letter to marketing about how they were having a debate in the dissension among each other about who was more important. And I feel that same way about sales, marketing, and design is like, I treat them holistically, like they're one big thing together. And for a lot of us who have small businesses, it is one big thing because we're doing it all. And so to not be thinking of it as doing all the heavy lifting all together, that's a mistake. It's when we get bad design in my mind, design isn't supporting sales and isn't supporting an easier way to market it, then you're not doing your job in design. And if marketing isn't really marketing the unique features, and also supporting what the sales goals are, then you're not doing good marketing. So like I always look at them from all those perspectives at all times and want them to do one thing. So hey, big boxers, just a quick announcement from TLB Consulting. Are you looking to scale your business this year? Are you looking to get your products on the shelf of a retailer this year? Well, guess what? Booking a coaching call with me has never been easier. I know based on the past 10 years of working with clients that it can be difficult to be a solopreneur. It can be difficult to scale your business into territory that you've never been to. That's why I have opened up more slots this year than I've ever done before. One of my goals this year is to work with more clients, more solopreneurs, more big boxers looking to get their products into retail than ever before. I want to work directly with you and share my experiences over the last 25 years of getting products into retail. I want to share those experiences with you. I want to talk to you from a place of somebody who's been there and I want to help you get to where I've gone. Like I said, it's never been easier. All you have to do is go to tlbconsulting.com, click on consulting, and then choose the time or the bundle that you want and get it scheduled. Let's kick off 2020 with a bang. Let's get you the information that you need. I'm looking forward to meeting you. I kind of don't like the isolation of, of any one of those things. You know, Tim, back to your question was back to you my question. It's not only it's only <laughs> <laughs> your comment, your comments, your comments about, OK, it could be an email, could be anything. Right. And thinking about what we're all saying here, I think it's a combination of virtual and in person may be the best way. OK, now it starts with an email. It goes to a conference call. Then it advances. It could be to a face to face. It's not going to be virtual all the way. It's not going to be maybe person to person all the way. But I think a combination would be ideal. Well, and maybe I should declare, you know, because I'm always pushing towards something. For instance, when I was working with potential clients, my goal was to get them on the phone, not necessarily a Skype call, 
for me, clients better on the phone. With buyers, I'm always pushing them for a face-to-face meeting if I can get that. And so I was wondering earlier today, I was brainstorming and thinking, is that where I should be pushing these people to? Well, Tim, doesn't this whole question also depend greatly on the context of who you're selling to? I mean, most of what we've been talking about here are sales to brick and mortar retail chains, I would think. And I know this is on the shelf in reality, you know, your show and everything, but can we ignore the absolute dominance of Amazon? And there are so many companies selling on their platform on their own, just being third-party sellers. But then Amazon continues to take away more and more business actually buying and reselling products like a big retailer does. And I think very few of the companies even selling in that context where Amazon buys the product from you, it's not under the sort of consignment model like most third-party sellers do. They're buying it, reselling it for whatever price they want. And I mean, not only is a consumer never touching it or seeing it before they buy it, but I think in many cases, the buyer of the product is not either. Wow, Tom, that's like a whole nother podcast. Um, (laughs) uh, And that's a podcast that I would love to go through. I mean, ages ago, I still remember when I used to visit the Amazon offices and they were one building in downtown Seattle. And now the entire block is all Amazon. And back then you could only sell to Amazon and you'd have to go there and they did see it and you pitch it just like any other retailer. But you're right today. Honestly, I don't even think they care what the product is. You know, they'll just bring it on and they have the warehouse space. They have everything. They'll just bring it in. And if it doesn't sell, they'll just mark it down until it does and then be done with it. So have you done that with any of your clients? Have you met any of the retail buyers? Because Tom's sister was one for a while and she never met any of her vendors. Years ago when there wasn't Seller Central. Uh, And nowadays, once the buyer agrees to bring you on now, you don't ever talk to that buyer ever again. You're now just in the system and you just talk to data people that keep the process running, but you never have contact. That buyer is now on to the next person and to the next person. So that may work for Amazon, but it may not work for a, on the shelf like a retailer. You know, if I have to yeah. answer, and, and I'll ask you guys each, we'll just yeah. go around the virtual room here, speaking of virtual, <laughs> and I'll start off and say, if I had my preference, I would prefer to meet people face to face. With that said, I built an entire business on the exact opposite of that. And what prompted the question for me was, should I even be pressing for face to face meetings with buyers anymore? Or should I be pressing them for a virtual meeting or a Skype meeting or a Zoom meeting and maybe change that up a bit? And so that's why I was wondering if it's as good. So if I had my preference, yeah, I would do it face to face. But you all know me, I love technology and I'm on board for things progressing. And I'm interested and excited to see them progress. But I don't think it will ever be the same. We had some family over during the summer. And one of my nieces was texting with her boyfriend. And I said, why don't you just call him? I mean, you've been texting for like the last 40 minutes. Why don't you just call him? And she said to me, well, then I would have to answer his questions on the spot. (laughs) And so, you know, it dawned on me that like kids today are, they might be doing that with two or three people at the same time and thinking about what they're going to answer, what they're not going to answer. But heaven forbid, you should get on the phone and actually have to have a real time conversation that you do have to answer something right on the spot. Holy cow, what would that be? And I was just, 
I thought about that answer for a really long time and it disturbed me a little bit because that's what's coming. And so I still enjoy the face to face. And that's one of the things I love about ECRM because not just in the meetings, you know, the face to face at the breakfast, lunch and dinner time that you don't get to have with buyers generally. So for me, I'm going to say, yes, I'd prefer to do face-to-face, but I'm up for how technology takes it. And just like you, Tom and Tracy said, I would have never been able to build TLB Consulting if I had to meet everybody face-to-face. It would have never happened. That just would have been an impossibility. All right. So, Joe, when it all comes down to it, what would you rather? I always prefer face-to-face. I'm a face-to-face guy. I love people. Like you said, ECRM just makes that easier and more efficient. I do see the potential of virtual, but I personally am a face-to-face guy. I will always like being in the same room or whatever outside, but meeting face-to-face with a living, breathing human being. We'll let you discuss the Viagra stuff another time. (laughs) (laughs) Salal, what would you rather? Definitely a face-to-face, but going with the trend and what's going on with technology and younger people and all that. I'm open, but definitely face-to-face makes it that more personable, more effective, especially with I deal with this more of a product for resale, not services. So, yeah. Jamie, what would you rather? Well, I want to preface this by saying that I am not a salesperson. In fact, that's one of the areas that I'm least comfortable with, if you will. But I have supported salespeople my entire career. And personally, I think face-to-face is where it's at. That's certainly my preference. Tom, what would you rather? I'd rather be virtual. Part of that is we've already discussed, and I won't reiterate why I feel that is. But there's another aspect to this for me is that personally, I think I present better and I'm more likable to people personally just because of me and my skill set talking on the phone or being on a video. I think I come off better that way than I do in person. And I'm more effective as a salesperson that way. Now that may be sort of unique to certain kinds of salespeople. And then the other thing I want to throw into this is I remember 10, 12 years ago, I was going around the country on sales calls for buyers for large national retail chains. And I remember one buyer in particular from Office Depot that even when you have a scheduled meeting off-site out of their office and you're displaying a bunch of products, you have supposedly, in air quotes here, undivided attention. And three quarters of the time, he's sitting there going through his emails on his BlackBerry and trying to have you believe he's paying attention and listening to what you're doing. So I don't Be careful, Tim might know him. I mean, I don't necessarily think just because you're there in person, you have their undivided attention. So for Actually, what I think, the, I think a couple of things you said, geez, I really agree with. And I didn't I wasn't thinking about that. You know, for the longest time, I didn't put my picture on LinkedIn or forever because I'm a big believer that people can make a judgment about you just based on your picture before they even get, oh, a chance, yeah. get a chance to talk to you. And so I think it's incredibly insightful that you know where you come across better. And that makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. And believe me, I mean, I flew across the country to go see a guy and he made the appointment on Valentine's Day. And then he made me sit in the lobby for two hours. Yeah. So face to face isn't always the warm and fuzzy. So I'm with you on that. And I appreciate your insight. Tracy, wrap it up. What would you rather? 
So at this stage in my life with two young kids at home, virtual is the way to go, right? Because I want to have a life and I want to have my family and I want to have time with my girls at night. And I was doing the on the road thing for a long time. And that's really a big strain on you and your family and everything. So the virtual convenience of it is just outstanding. That being said, I love in-person. I would do anything to just be able to do that, to be able to have constant in-person giving speeches and events and meeting people in person. I love it. And so can I stop selling and maybe just do that? Yeah. Like that may be my future. So we'll see. Maybe sooner than later, we'll put this flash topic on Zoom where everybody can be on it and then we'll put it on the YouTube channel. Who knows? Yeah. Um, that would you mean should. that I would have to take a shower, but other than that. <laughs> well, no, you know what? not do it from the closet anymore. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, you know what, Tim? It's funny you mentioned Zoom because the Rangeby folks, when we first acquired them, they're big on doing video conference calls, and we really don't do that. We'll do a phone call. It's just a regular phone call or communication with someone I know. I actually prefer just a phone call Because then when you have the video conference, if it's not adding anything, like let's say you got to show your desktop or show slides or something like that, then it's invaluable. But if it's just a conversation with someone you know, and it's not adding any additional value, I actually prefer a voice call because I got tired of kind of adjusting my head to fit in the screen and, you know, (laughs) and resisting. What are you talking about? Every time I open LinkedIn, that's all I see is your head. Yeah, but it's easier because I'm controlling the filming. Okay, Joe, you don't have to have your hair done. Like, you don't have to look good. (laughs) That's funny. It's interesting. I agree with you, Joe. If we're just going to chat, I don't need to see you. But interestingly enough, I was standing in line at the grocery store, and the person in front of me was FaceTiming. And two things about it really bothered me is, one is, why do you need to FaceTime? I saw them all around the grocery store. They're FaceTiming. But in line, I'm in the frame. Like I'm in the frame of their FaceTime. And so in that, I was like, come on, just talk on the phone. But the other night I was texting with my best friend from high school and out of nowhere, he just hit FaceTime. And then we started talking. And Matt, what a great time we had because I just hadn't seen him in years to turn on the FaceTime and actually see each other face to face. So both of those were cool. But I did get tired after a while holding my phone so that, you know. Finally, I had to tell him, I'm like, dude, I'm tired of looking up your nose. So just readjust. The... <laughs> hey, guys, let me ask you one last question before we cut this off. I'm interested with your guys take on good or bad on tariffs. Oh, oh. good question. I will start by saying I don't know enough. So I'm just going to go ahead and put my phone on mute. <laughs> <laughs> so did you read my article, Tim? Not yet. No, I didn't. So the company Joann's, not Joanne, but Joann's came out with a big email campaign to all of their membership saying, hey, we're giving you a heads up that this is going to affect our prices going forward, which means it's going to affect the Girl Scouts. It's going to affect the church groups. It's going to affect all of these things. So I just wrote an article about that, about the trickle down of that. But one of the things that I think a lot of people aren't seeing, and I don't know if you guys are seeing it as well as we are, but we're getting a lot of sort of feedback from factories and from brands and other things that the purchases for fourth quarter are down. So that means that inventory will be down. That means there will not be as much on the shelf in fourth quarter as we expect to be for our holiday sales. While our economy seems to be robust and there seems to be a lot of 
could be a lot of buying happening in the fourth quarter. We could have had a banner quarter for many of us and our brands. We may not see the sales we expect because there's not enough inventory to support that. And we had that happen a couple of times before in the last decade. And it has a tremendously negative effect on the overall economy beginning of the following year. And so that's where we're seeing purchases down and the amount of purchases, the amount of inventory being purchased and shipped at this time of year is low compared to prior years. And yet it shouldn't be. Against tariffs for you? Yeah, I am. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think adjustments need to happen, but I don't know that this is the way to do it without the definition of what exactly is being tariffed. And like, it's too much conjecture. It's making everybody nervous and in nervous, they don't buy as much. They panic. Yeah. Well, we for yeah, sure need to put your, uh, the link to your article in the show I notes. I will send of, it to you. Uh, well, you send it to me. I'll send it back to you. <laughs> That's right. You will. <laughs> I'll send it to my team. There you go. Yeah, but put it in the show notes so everybody can see that perspective. Who was just going to speak up next? I was going to say I'm against. We had aluminum foil that's going to be imported from outside at 30% lower cost. And then also not just cost, there wasn't enough to be manufactured within the U.S. for aluminum foil, enough for the demand. We scrapped the deal and we're still trying to get an exclusion, but it's ridiculous how much it was going to raise costs. So I'm with Tracy there. It's just not right. And I'm against. So, so Salah, how will that affect you for, let's say, the next three to six months? Well, in the aluminum foil, it's going to affect because we can't import, right? Can't bring it. Mm-hmm. And then to buy it here, there's not enough. That's the number one reason. And the cost is 30% higher. So it just goes ahead and underscores exactly what Tracy just said. So are you saying that you can't import it or when you import it, the cost is too high? I can import it, but it's going to be 30% higher. And we know how much buyers love to raise their prices, right? It's already happened. Aluminum foil, especially, I don't know if you guys noticed. Yeah. Tom, what do you think? I am very much not in favor of tariffs. We deal with a big cross-section of categories of product and of industries of both kinds of manufacture and materials. And across the board, I see that raising tariffs does not actually create more jobs in the U.S. I see it hurting. And even though it may create some jobs or benefit some companies in the U.S., I think overall for our economy, it is hurting more jobs and taking away more jobs and more opportunity for American businesses than it is helping. And I've also seen specifically, take example, the bedroom industry. There have been tariffs on importing bedroom furniture into the United States from China in particular for more than a decade, maybe even as much as 15 years. And it did not do anything to bolster the U.S. furniture manufacturing industry the way it was intended. And in fact, continued to hurt it because there were many more U.S. companies importing bedroom furniture from China than were making it in the U.S. And so what did all those companies do when they could no longer import? This is in particular solid wood bedroom furniture from China. They went to Vietnam. They went to Indonesia. They went to other countries to do it and to avoid the tariff and the U.S. companies did not benefit. So, I mean, there's a number of perspectives I have. Definitely, I don't see tariffs being good for the U.S. economy. Okay. So I kind of agree across the board with a caveat. I don't fully, like Tracy said, you know, the way it's put out there, it's pretty confusing. 
what's getting tariffed, what's not getting tariffed. I have a client right now that the cost of their brand new product that they haven't even brought across yet just went up $9. Wow, um, that's a lot. Because of the tariffs. And Tom, your point is interesting and sad at the same time that putting up tariffs and making it more expensive to import products doesn't have a correlating effect in the U.S. And maybe what that means is that you have to put tariffs up across the board before it makes sense for U.S. industry to take hold. But it also means to me that there are people out there that just aren't seeing the benefit and aren't taking advantage of it. I'm concerned about it. I guess I'm forward in the right way. I'm concerned that we're stuck in this. Everything has to be nine ninety nine. And, uh, uh, I agree. We need some price increases, right? We need like some, we need some yeah. well, you know, I remember it vis- vividly when the economic downturn happened. And I was just telling this to my wife the other day, when we were in Vegas at the time, we were walking through the mall and there was Ann Taylor, which at the time was this, you know, high end retailer. And they had a sign out front that said 50% off everything. And we just couldn't believe it. I mean, what do you mean Ann Taylor, 50% off everything. And Maybe three years ago, I took this electric toothbrush to Bed Bath & Beyond, and it had this unbelievable sonic motor in it. And I mean, it was just top of the line, and it was selling for $99, and they wanted to retail it for $39.99. And I knew that we need a collective understanding in this country that it does cost money to manufacture quality goods. And you know, one of the retailers I think that's doing really good at this right now is REI. They don't discount everything. There's no 40% off everything in REI. And they're doing well because they're selling quality products that are going to be around for a long time. They're selling them for a price that's good for it. But I'm not in favor of how it's done. You know, I feel like we're trying to like shove it in there. But I do think that there needs to be some equality in the importing of products into the U.S., as there is in when we try to export into any country, we're hit with huge taxes and it makes it difficult to export into Brazil and North America and some of those countries. But coming back here, there's nothing you can just freely import. So I do think there needs to be some reconciliation there. Anybody else? Anything on tariffs? Well, you know, one of the other factors I'll just throw in here that I've experienced recently with pricing new products over in China is that there's been an advantage happening lately. For many years, the Chinese currency was appreciating against the dollar. You were talking about everything can't be like $99, right? Like take our chair. Everything can be $9. Well, no, I mean, but even the price points, right? I mean, you have these sort of magic price points that's for certain kinds of product that if you go over it, retail, it's like taboo. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't go over that. I won't sell as much as I did last year. And every buyer at every store needs to do at least as well as the previous buyer did or the sales were last year or else their job is in jeopardy. And they don't want to go north of these magic price points. Like in our case of like a chair we sold at Costco, that's $99 retail. It's been 99 for seven years. Right. And believe me, at the beginning of that seven years, the currency was a little more in our favor and it changed over the years as Chinese currency appreciated and you get squeezed on your margin. Well, now we're at this point where the dollar is getting stronger against the RMB in China. And there's a little more room for margin, for profits, or for making a better quality product at the same price. And now the tariffs are coming in and just eclipsing that value. 
or uh, maybe it's the wrong word, but they're having an opposite effect to what that could be having on our. Yeah. Economy. I mean, what Tom's pointing out is what usually happens is, is that when this happens and you go into this and you've got to adjust, I mean, with aluminum foil, it's really difficult because you're talking about a commodity product that is like, is what it material. is, right? It's yeah. the material, right? But when you're talking about the chair or something like that, the only thing that happens is they go, okay, it's 30% more find a way to cut 30% out of this design. And that's where Tom and I come back in and we have to figure out how not to destroy the quality of a product, but yeah. reduce its cost by that much. It's a scary venture for the consumer at the end of the day are not getting as good a product and they're still paying the same price. That happens all the time. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I get you, that. You that, deal man. with it every day, Tim. Yeah, yeah of you course. Know. And uh, yeah. And so, you know, I'm not an economist, so I don't know what the exact answer is, but I'm glad for all of your guys is insight. Joe, did you have anything to add? Well, I was just thinking, you know, when you were talking about being afraid to charge pricing, you know, and then you have someone like Apple, you know, they're charging a thousand and change for their new phone and people are paying for 400 bucks for the ugly watch. Yeah. So, (laughs) and the thing is, is because they can, they ask for it. They've gotten their consumer used to it. It's like, all right, it's going to be an expensive phone, but you know, and people are buying it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll buy it. Although I usually stay one version or two versions behind. But the other thing is my uh, 6S, I had and I used the hell out of it. I mean, I beat the hell out of that phone. I use it to record, edit, upload all my videos when I'm on the road. And that thing never, ever, ever gave me any problems. So you got the quality there, too. So they can ask for those prices. And I think that's going to protect them a little bit because people are used to it well but what will happen if the u.s government like the rhetoric is talking about coming out of the current administration in washington if they put a tariff on that type of product coming out of china on those smartphone electronics trying to get them to manufacture it in the united states Mm. it's not gonna gonna happen no no way so either they'll reduce the quality value you know, and the value you're getting at the end of the day, or they just will raise the price on you. I guess I'll be keeping my eight for a little longer, right? A little longer than I normally do. Joe, I'm still using my 6S as well until today. The only reason why I got the eight was because my mom and dad got the eight and I couldn't be behind them. I've never bought an iPhone. I'm a Mac person, but I've never bought an iPhone and I never will. Blasphemy! Yeah, I know. She's an anti-iPhone snob for some reason. I don't get it. No, I don't like Johnny Ivy. Are you Samsung? Samsung? I I do have a Samsung, yeah. You like the camera and the color? You know what? This is my like 10th different style of phone or something, but it's (laughs) the one I do like the best so far. I don't know. The new XS looks pretty good. I am a... Mac user all the way across every single platform. Well, and, now, and uh, I'm yeah. a Mac user everywhere else, but I just do not like the iPhone. Yeah, it doesn't well, count, then, Tracy. Sorry. You know what? Then she'll <laughs> complain, though, about a certain feature the iPhone has that she doesn't have to. Well, still, it's not enough to make me go get an iPhone. You know, whatever. <laughs> I have a lot more features. <laughs> I'm a big iPhone user, too. I tried the Samsung for a month one time and went back. So <laughs> I think Tracy can't stay on the panel anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sh- well, it's almost yeah. like she's a little bit of a traitor. Uh, I don't know. Tom, well, though, you do you have an have iPhone? somebody in the group who I tries do. Android so that, uh, you know, we have a platform experience here. I have an iPhone and quite honestly, and I'm a Mac person across the board as well. But 
me. I've admitted this. I mean, do I think I need a new, slightly bigger, slightly shinier, rectangular smartphone every year? No, I yes, don't. Yes, you do. Um, but <laughs> the operating system, how it works, and I have bought tons of apps over the years that if I switch to the Android platform, I'd have to buy all yeah. new apps for the paid ones. And the also seamless integration yeah. of back to the cloud every night. Mm. And so if I get it, I buy a new phone tomorrow, it updates from the cloud and it's like it was done. always there. So yeah. it's done. So as long as they keep doing that, they've got me. I can't mm -hmm. say, but <laughs> they've got me. Well, I think mm -hmm. the genius on, um, and I don't know whether Steve Jobs thought about this, but when I meet somebody new face to face, or I'm thinking about going back and looking at something, I mean, I have video from the first day that my daughter started ice skating all the way to the stuff that she's doing today. It's all on my phone and I can access it at any time. And there's so many memories on there and I just couldn't learn a new platform. And so they have me too, let alone the quality. My last Mac, you know, I just upgraded to a new MacBook Pro, but I had my last Mac for 10 years. I mean, what other computer at all anywhere can you have for 10 years and doesn't anyway we're totally so digressing I and so i interviewed was and was is responsible i for saw that. that yeah yeah well you know you're right tim i have the oldest macbook air right now in the business or the household and i type on it so much i've rubbed the letters off the keys and <laughs> right I touch type mostly so i don't really need to look at what the key is but uh, they last a long time. I agree with you. All right, guys, give me one thing, each of you, that your business is doing that's brand new or that's coming up. So has designs. What do you guys got that's new and innovative that's coming up? And we'll leave it there. Okay. I'm going to laugh, but on-site strategy days. Oh, that just takes credibility. I know. It takes out of everything today. I said today. But oh, we're doing yeah. on-site strategy days. But it's mainly because... They need to involve an entire team at a company. It's not because of not doing virtual. They have already, they're already our clients, but we'll do an on-site strategy day to cut, clean, and create their product line cut, because they have too many SKUs. Yeah, C, not C squared, but C cubed. All right. C cubed, yeah. They have too many SKUs. Everyone has too many SKUs. So we go in and we do that in a day. Slash and burn. And on yep. the other... Our other business, which is the podcast business, we're actually developing a physical product, a unique, doesn't exist on the market, microphone with unique features for recording things like this. Tim's going to love it, um, and so is Joe. Yeah, you guys will love it for ever recording things on location somewhere. Without right all the equipment. The microphone without all the additional equipment. So anyway, that's the big thing that's been developed and is in the, uh, I guess, the pre-production process right now. Well, I can't wait to see that. I have to tell you, after you helped me out, Tom, with my Zoom 5, that's all I use now, even when I'm at home, because I can tell the difference when you guys produce the podcast. I can tell the difference in the quality from the Zoom product to just my other microphone. Uh, Any offline digital audio recorder is going to do a better job than if you're recording someone remotely. So if you can do it in person, quality is always going to be better. Yeah, I like it a lot. All right, good stuff. Salah, what, what's going on with your company? What are you guys doing? I mean, I'm a product for resale. So we're just introduced to Walmart. You know, Walmart is all about low cost. Well, now we're telling them low cost, but made in Italy, optical eyewear. So uh, kind of venturing into a different line of work. Again, nothing 
innovative, but we're trying to give them value because they're all about cost, but we want to get them out of this low quality stuff. Right. Nice. So well, good luck with that. Joe. Thank you. Well, RangeMate just actually launched yesterday an industry insights for the suppliers that are on the platform. So in other words, they will be able to dig into metrics on buyer behavior on the platform. They'll be able to tell what categories are getting the most buyer activity, which certifications of products, which ingredients. There's a whole bunch of ways they can slice and dice it, but essentially they're going to get a sense of what is top of mind among the buyers on the platform. Nice. That's awesome. Jamie, what's going on at Trivium Consulting? What's new? Well, it's new for us. I mean, it might not be innovative, but you know, we've spent a lot of time doing these types of things for our clients. And now we are developing our own kind of passive income, if you will, for the business and developing a DIY marketing program for people to come and get workbooks or worksheets or templates or whatever that they need from our website so that we don't have to hold their hand and walk them through it. So in there, there's just people out there that I've met that just seem to prefer to do it themselves. So why not let them? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Nice. All right. Well, here at On The Shelf Podcast, I just scheduled my very first Facebook Live event. It's on the website. You can go check it out. It's under upcoming. What's next, I think, is what it's called. It's under what's next. And so we'll be doing a monthly Facebook Live where you can come and listen to a topic and then ask questions and be live. And then what will follow that is the introduction of our new YouTube channel, which we'll be posting these later on the YouTube channel along with some other things. So pretty excited about that. Well, listen, everybody, great conversation. Super appreciate all of your time. We went a little longer than normal. So I know everybody has to get back to doing things virtually. (laughs) But uh, as always, great information, great insight, great back and forth. I appreciate all of you. And thanks for being on Clash Topic number nine. Look forward to talking to each of you very soon. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was fun. See you guys. Bye-bye now. Hey, everybody. Flash topic number nine is in the books, and it was a good one. I know that we jumped around quite a bit, but that's okay because it was a discussion and it was passionate. I hope you guys were able to form an opinion on how you want to move forward with digital types of selling, whether it's content building or marketing or using tools like Skype and Zoom to reach out to buyers. And we had, again, some discussion on tariffs, good or bad. So I'm sure you have your own opinions there. And the panel was able to break that down a bit. My many thanks to Joe and Tracy and Tom and Jamie and Salah. Great, great insight, everyone. Thanks so much for joining Flash Topic number nine. As for big boxers out there, guys, this is really a place for you to get some key information, some good insight from leaders in the community. People that are doing this every single day have built businesses from scratch. I encourage you to check out each one of the businesses of the people that are on the panel so that you can get more familiar with what they do and how they do it. They're all excellent in their field. Hey, we have some news. We have something cool coming up. I think you heard me mention on the podcast that our first Facebook Live event is coming up. That's going to be on 924. And you can see it in the What's Up Next section of the website. So on the shelfnow.com, go to What's Next. 
or what's up next, and you'll see Facebook Live event 924. There's a link to our new Facebook page. So we have a new Facebook page, and I would encourage you to all go and hit like. It's basically facebook.com forward slash on the shelf now. So you can go to facebook.com forward slash on the shelf now and like our new Facebook page, and that will help notify you that the Facebook Live events are coming. We're going to try to do a Facebook Live event every single month. We're going to hit a topic this coming topic for the event on 924 is factoring program costs into your pricing model. So if you price products, if you have products that are for sale and you're pricing those and you want to talk about or learn about factoring the program costs into that pricing model, that's the place to be. So we're going to talk briefly and have a discussion briefly, and then we're going to open it up to questions. It'll be live. Of course, that's what Facebook Live is. And so it'll be live And I'm really looking forward to touching base and talking to you all via that medium. And then those recordings will go up on our new YouTube channel. So excited to get that up and running. So much stuff happening for On The Shelf. We have a website. Boom. We have a new Twitter account, On The Shelf Now. So it's at On The Shelf Now on Twitter. So if you have a Twitter account, please go to On The Shelf Now and follow our Twitter feed. We have a new Facebook page, On the Shelf Now. Of course, we still have our closed Facebook group, On the Shelf Now. Uh, You just type that in and you can hit join. Big happenings at the podcast, and I'm glad that you guys are all part of it. But now that we've talked about our Facebook Live event, I want to tell you that topic-wise and question-wise, we want you guys to write in. So if you actually go to the What's Up Next section of our webpage, OnTheShelfNow.com, there's a place for you guys to click on and upload questions, comments, topics that you want us to talk about. Hey, if you have a flash topic topic, that's the place to put that. So we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you're thinking, how you're liking the different podcasts that we're putting out and get some discussion going. Only through back and forth with other like-minded people are we going to really take this to the next level so that you guys can get as much information and have as much information as you possibly can. So if you're liking the podcast, please go and check us out on Twitter, On The Shelf Now. Check us out on Facebook, On The Shelf Now. Go to the ontheshelfnow.com and comment on the latest podcast and give us some insight. Send us some topics or questions that you want us to cover. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to speaking with you again. Looking forward to the next podcast. But until then, Look forward to seeing your products on the shelf. 